Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Good afternoon, Energy West listeners. This is Jason Forden, editor of California Energy Markets. Coming at you today with the latest in energy news from California Energy Markets. I'm flying solo this week. Dan Catchpole is on a well-earned vacation. So I have a few topics to discuss today. One of those is how the workforce needed to implement California's energy policies does not exist. We're talking about this article from Ann Erst on the workforce issue. Then I'll be discussing a little bit of heavy-duty electric vehicles, an article entitled California EV Fleets Keep on Trucking from Linda Daly Paulson, talking about some new uh, charging projects here in California for large trucks. And then finally, I have a new report from uh, Cal Advocates saying EV integration costs much less than previous estimates. be discussing that a little bit. And up in the Northwest, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, Pacific Corps li- liability in Labor Day wildfire suit could reach $87 million. So today, I'd like to discuss a little bit one of the barriers facing California in its quest to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And that's finding the workforce needed to help the state shift to a carbon neutral lifestyle and energy production. Every region, sector and industry in the Golden State will need to, quote, deepen and broaden its bench of skilled and capable workers to meet climate and energy goals. That's according to Daniel Soltero, a program manager for the Western Riverside Council of Governments. He made his comments during the closing session of the 14th annual California Climate and Energy Forum held June 13th, 14th in Santa Rosa. Our reporter and journeyed down to cover this. And workforce needs were a recurring thread. This is something we've been reporting on for some time in in our publication. And you know what this really gets down to for years, young students, myself included, has been told that the only path to success is through a four-year college degree. That narrative has depleted the skilled trades. Workforce experts say. As a result, we have a shortage of electricians, technicians, and skilled building and construction workers are in high demand and low supply. This reminds me of when I was a teenager in high school and told my dad I wanted to be an auto mechanic. It didn't go over well. But in general, you know, there's nothing wrong with college education. But what we're finding now is that, of course, skilled tradesmen uh, were facing severe shortages, and we're depending on this for the clean energy development that we need in California. For instance, the offshore wind development, there's a very large shortage of workers. According to experts, California will need 8,000 workers by 2030 and nearly 18,000 by 2045. Some will come from the displaced oil and natural gas industries, but not all skills are transferable. 
Implementation of California's climate goals will happen through the private sector, according to Lou Jacobson, a director for Wilden, which provides energy and sustainability solutions for a broad range of facilities, transportation, and power systems. California needs to double or triple its workforce to meet its goals. Investment in building the skilled trade for workforce is long overdue, according to Jordan Ackerman with the Construction Trades Workforce Initiative. The lack of attention to the trade workforce relates back to the country's focus on getting a university degree and a potential income that brings. There's also a regional challenge in obtaining and retaining tradesmen. Getting skilled workers in urban areas is an easier step to achieve than those in rural areas, where there could be literally a steeper climb to the rugged terrain of some work sites. There's also the geographical distance from third-party services that creates an obstacle from a travel and worker pool perspective. Furthermore, the distinction between rural and urban is somewhat, somewhat relative. During a forum, forum breakout session, a forum attendee from San Mateo County said there are areas in her county that some residents refer to as rural or remote. However, anywhere in San Mateo County would be considered urban compared with anywhere in Humboldt County. And people's rural experiences differ from one another and aren't necessarily interchangeable. So, uh, yeah, there's a gap in regionally qualified service providers who can perform work needed for electrification, such as installing solar panels or upgrading electric systems to accommodate electric appliances. This is a roadblock for rural regions in reaching the state's goals, experts say. The Sierra Nevada region, where I live, also provides an example of how weather extremes can affect the process of development. That's according to Pam Close-Bold, Executive Director of High Sierra Energy Foundation. After receiving more than 50 feet of snow this past winter, the region is inundated with needed repairs to homes and roadways. Workers there are in demand to deal with day-to-day -day conditions and there aren't enough to work on upgrades for the future. Another issue that relates to the future of where and how California's energy will be created is training for jobs that aren't there yet. Training workers now to install technical technologies of the future doesn't work, she said. The timing of training and jobs requires coordination. So yes, becoming quite an issue. And as we see, uh, we will need these tradespeople. Hopefully uh, there will be enough outreach and education to address this problem. Next, I have a report from Linda Daly Paulson, California EV fleets keep on trucking. As fleet operators strive to meet state and corporate emissions targets through purchasing and deploying electric heavy duty trucks, more charging infrastructure is needed to support them and more projects are being announced and completed. Trucking companies are constructing huge facilities in both the northern and southern portions of the state that are able to charge various numbers of Class 8 truck fleets at the same time, but it remains unclear how much demand will be replaced on the grid. Schneider National completed construction of an electric charging depot at its South El Monte Intermodal Operations Center in Southern California. That's an uh, announcement from June 7th. The facility is said to be capable of charging 32 battery-powered trucks simultaneously. The fleet will consist of almost 100 Freightliner E-Cascadia trucks by year's end, making it one of North America's largest zero-emission fleets. The E-Cascadia trucks have an almost 220-mile range, are capable of reaching 80% charge with 90 minutes. Here's a quote from Black & Beach Associate VP Paul Stith. Quote, the charging site that Black & Beach built for Schneider National has four 1.2 megawatt power cabinets, totaling 4.8 megawatts to support 32 trucks charging simultaneously. We 
had a little trouble dialing down or really getting much response on what the total megawatt would draw would be sort of a peak draw when you have all the trucks charging strikes me as a huge load and um, you know what upgrades will be needed when expect when asked about the expected load of that facility this said quote as industrial loads sites like this can take time measured in years to provision power we're working with fleets on temporary and permanent solutions to speed up the schedule provide resilience by incorporating on-site storage and renewables over time the flexibility of these distributed resources combined with significant new loads are opportunities to increase reliability and provide value to the grid. Schneider has been making deliveries for customers, including Frito-Lay, North America, and Goodyear using these zero-emission zero emission trucks. Companies grants from numerous federal, state, and local agencies, both to build a charging site and to acquire the electric trucks. Meanwhile, in Northern California, innovative financing is being used to create a 96-truck charging depot in Livermore, the community choice aggregator East Bay Community Energy in a June 13th announcement said it is giving $4.5 million in financing to form mobility for the project. The Greenville Community Charging Depot, with the name of this, is one in a series of charging sites form mobility intends to build for drainage trucks carriers oper operating at the Port of Oakland. The 4.4-acre site is located off Interstate 580 in Livermore. In January, the company closed on both a $15 million funding round and a new $400 million joint venture, both of which were led by a fund sponsored by CBRE Investment Management and other investors, including Homecoming Capital, Edison International, and Amazon's Climate Pledge Fund. This, of course, is in response to the 2020 executive order in California that all medium and heavy-duty trucks in California must be zero emission by 2045 were feasible. Additionally, the order calls for drainage trucks and off-road vehicles and equipment to be zero emission by 2035. California Public Utilities Commission staff estimates that 150,000 DC fast chargers will be needed to support the projected 180,000 medium and heavy duty zero emission vehicles that will be on the road by 2030. Massive transformation here, uh, something that we cover uh, extensively, not only on the regular light duty EV fleets, but here as we see trucks and to meet state goals, we're going to need a lot of power and a lot of infrastructure, but people are clearly working on this. Also, my story from last week, Cal Advocates says EV integration costs much less than previous estimates. This is an interesting story. Uh, I guess Cal Advocates, which is part of the California Public Utilities Commission's uh, staff or offices said the cost to upgrade the distribution grid in California to accommodate electric vehicles will be about one third of previous estimates. The office, which represents ratepayer interests in California energy matters, said June 5th it is close to completing a new study finding out the cost to utilities prepare for to prepare for electrification will be 15 billion to 20 billion by 2035. There was a previous study it was a part one study in May by consulting firm Kavala to the CPC found the cost would be 50 billion, much higher. Cal Advocates says its lower costs are based on lower projections for peak load and other different assumptions. Cal Advocates says as purchases of electric vehicles increase, the grid will, the grid will need upgrades. The new study is due to be issued in August. It's that it used registered addresses of every vehicle in California to estimate where EV implementation will occur. 
then calculated the cost of system upgrades that would be needed in those areas. Here's a post by Cal Advocates, quote, forecasting the cost of these upgrades is critical to better inform electricity distribution grid planning, understand the potential future impacts to electric ratepayers, and quantify the potential benefits of incentives designed to encourage EV owners to charge at off-peak times when electricity prices should reflect lower system costs. This new report from Cal Advocates used um, data, peak load estimates from the California Energy Commission's integrated energy policy report. And they said that this, the consulting firm Kavala, its findings were, quote, the result of its unique model and assumptions, unquote. Kavala found that the bulk of charging would occur around 9 p.m. Cal Advocates found that EV charging would happen in a more spread out fashion. It will be seeking feedback on the study from a broad range of parties. And we'll also provide the study res results to Kavala to help the firm refine, refine results for its electrification impact study part two. So I did talk to Kavala about this. I found it interesting. I was wondering if they might push back a little bit, but no, they're uh, pretty, um, I won't say an agreement, but here's a quote from Trina Horner, the company's vice president of professional and advisory services. She said, quote, Kavala is pleased to see that its study has spurred other analysis of the impact of electrification on the distribution grid. This conversation is critical to continue if we are to decarbonize the global economy in a way that is affordable and efficient. Kavala's assumptions are unmitigated. It said mitigations can take many forms and all of them taken individually or collectively can help to manage grid overloads and costs." Unquote. So some pretty wildly different numbers here from Cal Advocates. We will of course cover the full study when it comes out and also probably uh, stay in touch with Kabbalah about their work in this area. Finally, Pacificor, liability in Labor Day wildfire suit could reach 87 million. Reporting from Greg Mason, Pacificorp was found liable for the damages caused by four Labor Day 2020 wildfires in Oregon that burned more than 1 million acres and killed at least nine people. That's the ruling from a Multnomah County Circuit Court on June 12th. Utility says it's planning to appeal a verdict, which found the utility grossly negligent and reckless for its conduct in the wake of the 242 Echo Mountain Complex, Santium, and South Oban Chain fires. Among other claims, the plaintiffs argue that Pacific Corps' decision to leave power lines energized in those areas caused the fires. The verdict directs Pacific Corps to pay between $3 million and $5.5 million in compensation to each of the 17 plaintiffs which totals more than 70 million. June 14th, the jury also awarded additional punitive damages amounting to 0.25 times any economic and non-economic damages applied in the case, increasing the amount awarded to those 17 plaintiffs to at least 87 million. That verdict also enables about 5,000 other individuals harmed by the fires to prove their individual damages in later phases of the case. That's according to attorneys for the plaintiffs. Pacific Corp says it disagrees with the jury's verdict. In a June 12th statement, it said in the, in the case of Santian, Pacific Corp argued that lightning caused the Beachy Creek fire that roared into the Santian Canyon. The company also touted its fire mitigation planning efforts, saying Pacific Power was the first utility to develop a formalized wildfire mitigation plan in Oregon. The company plans to pursue appeals. Pacific Corp says it's confident it will prevail. The damages could amount to the largest civil, civil jury verdict in Oregon history, according to plaintiff attorneys. 
When asked by the clearing of how the utility intends to pay the damages should its appeals fail, Pacific Corp spokesman reiterated the company's disappointment and disagreement with the verdict. Bob Jenks, executive director of the Oregon Citizens Utility Board, said that while ratepayers may be affected by the likelihood of increased interest rates charged to the company, as well as potential increases in wildfire mitigation spending, quote, this liability is on the company, not the customers. Mr. Jenks of Oregon Cubs said the foundation of utility rate setting is that utilities are allowed to recover prudently incurred costs and the burden of proof is on them to share prudence. He said, quote, the court found that Pacific Corp acted recklessly and with gross negligence. I don't know how Pacific Corp could show that these costs related to prudent operations. That's according to Mr. Jenks. I hope you enjoyed this week's issue and our coverage of California and the Northwest. California Energy Markets is on Twitter at CEM News Data. I'm also on Twitter at Ford and Energy. Tune in, give me a follow. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you here next week.